You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another fun takeover series. As as most of you know, every Tuesday and Thursday, we have started to find amazing leaders who are doing great podcasts. And we want to partner up because guess what? They have a lot of times great content that you may not never hear about. And if you like it, you can go and subscribe to that. And I know people call me crazy to do that, but I think if you learn more together, you will be better. That is one of our goals with it. So this time, a very good friend of mine, David Lewis, who is the CEO and founder of DemandGen, is again, just like last year, collaborating with me on this amazing series. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sangram. So glad to be back. I feel like whenever you and I do these collaborations, it's a little bit like, uh, well, maybe Justin Bieber and Chance the Rapper. Which one do you want to be? I, I can't uh, sing, so I'll take, I'll take Chance. Well, the fun part is people are going to hear this every single time when we do the entire series because you're going to have 10 of your episodes, the best of the best episodes, and you're calling it the marketing power player. So Dave, just share a little bit about who you're interviewing, what these uh, episodes are all going to be about. Will do. Thank you so much, guys, for, uh, for being with me on this TakeOver series. I'm really proud to bring you guys some incredible leaders from our series. If you guys are not already subscribing to De- Demand Gen Radio, look it up. These are some of the top 10 episodes that ran in 2020. And you've got people like Heidi Malin, who is one of the top CMOs uh, around the world. Career lessons from her. Naomi Liu, who is over at EFI. She runs marketing operations there. And she's talking about a marketing automation migration that they did. Michael Madden over at Adobe on how Marketo actually does demand generation. Folks like Joe Payone at Splunk on how to build a successful demand generation strategy. David Eldred on the power of marketing driving revenue. And Rob Boyce around ramping up marketing during a downturn. So many other great episodes as well, but just a really I, I hand-selected a series of episodes that not only did great on our channel, Sangram, but the content is so relevant and so important to your audience. Oh, man, I, I love that. I can't wait to jump into it. This is a full-on series that I really wanted people to take a, take a look into. So, folks, uh, if you are listening this introduction for the first time, just know this is a whole series. In the show notes, you're going to see more information about how do you go and check out David's uh, radio. Uh, you can also look at all the YouTube series that they have started, which seems to be going really, really well. So all those details will be in the show notes. It will also tell you, is this the first of the series or the 10th of the series? So make sure you check the show notes out and make sure you follow Dave Lewis. Dave, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, guys. All right. Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, we are talking about ABM and you guys are in for a treat. I know, let's be honest, that that ABM is a topic that uh, has been talked a lot about for several years. And there's really uh, two audiences. There's those people that are doing it right. And those people, I well, mean, there's three. And those people that are not doing it right. And then, of course, there's those people that are not doing it. And one of the reasons I was so excited to do this episode today with Bruce Edsvik from Genesis is because his team is is crushing it. They're not just doing it right, but it wasn't always that way. 
And we really want to dive into the complexity of it. So you're in for a treat on how to build a successful ABM program and a successful team. So Bruce, thanks for joining me. How are you? Uh, very good. Thanks, David, for having me. Uh, excited. It's a great topic that I love. You do love this topic. But before we dive into it, I, I just want us to go back in time, see if you remember how we met. And that was from an introduction uh, from the Mintigo team. And you were attending a Mintigo event back when there was Mintigo, because they've been since acquired. And you were described as, you know, and I think you'd really hit it off with him. You should just talk to him because he's a really smart guy and he's, he's passionate about a lot of the same things you are passionate about. And that has turned out to be very true. And one of the things that Bruce and I discovered as we got to know each other over the past couple of years is that we're both really into skiing. So I just want you to know, Bruce, as we're staying at home, it's very virtual. I mean, it's a podcast, but I wanted to give you you know, that keynote speaker type of intro that if this was actually not a podcast, but you were, you know, walking up on stage and I would say, ladies and gentlemen, and now to hear an incredible ABM story, the man, the myth, the legend, Vic, and I'd play this. <laughs> All right. So you may not know the song or like the song, but if you discovered it where I did, you would know the context, which is that is one of the opening songs from Warren Miller's Ski Life. And he loves So uh, Bruce and I got together recently, which is weird, right? Because we're all in lockdown, but we went and had sushi in Lafayette to catch up and talk about the podcast. And uh, we talked about his ski trip where he went uh, on some cats that took him up some incredible mountains and and pictures were amazing. So we not only love marketing technology, we also love skiing together. We've never skied together, but that's on our bucket list to do. So after, after I met Bruce as this smart guy who I should get to know, it was about a year or two later that we engaged where my team is working with, with Bruce's team. And one of the uh, areas that we've been involved is around this ABM initiative. So before we just jump into that, I think it's always good to get a little bit of like, how did you land in marketing, Bruce? Because I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't, you know, like, I'm going to be a fireman, I'm going to be a marketer type uh, story. And, and I've never asked you that, but how, how you ended up here in this, this field and, and your career. Actually, I was, I was going to be a physicist. That was my, uh, I figured that out in 10th grade. And I, I got uh, most of the way there through undergrad. And then uh, I got into, um, uh, my first job was a sales engineer. So I did sort of keep on the path. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I really actually got heavily involved in sales. You know, my, my problem with marketing has always been that it's not measurable enough. And, and that's why I, you know, I really pursued a career in, in sales uh, because it, uh, it, it's extremely measurable. And, and for me, not, you know, not being that bright, uh, you know, it's, it's very easy to, to decide who, who's doing well and who's not doing well. I'm competitive for sure, but, but it's more like I, I just want something to feel how am I doing? How am I performing? I felt marketing, it's a very hard thing to tell people, how are you doing? How is marketing performing? So I, you know, I sort of pursued this, uh, this sales career. Um, and if you want, I, look, it was interesting because I'm, I'm, uh, Dave, you know this, but I'm Canadian, um, born and raised. Uh, and, uh, that's probably one of the reasons I'm a big skier. I just want to say the, the, you know, we missed that, you missed the best 
ski trip this year. Uh, and it was the last few days that uh, this place I go to, Mustang Powder for a cat skiing, was was open. So I just we caught the very uh, tail end of it, and uh, and it shut down. So it's you know for skiers, it's it's not been a great a great season. In any case, and it, it just just so you guys start to get to know Bruce, you, you've already heard him say that he's not that smart. So this is a humble guy. He's very very smart, and he's an amazing skier. And this ski trip is not like you know running up to North Star or wherever you go. This this is the real deal type of ski trip where there's training for avalanche preparation with the team and all kinds of stuff. And they go up in these big mountain cats and, and ski in, in powder that's not just up to your knees, but it's over your head. So if that starts to paint the persona of how driven Bruce is and how much he loves experiences and, and going at things, I, I don't know what else I could tell you, but c- please continue. Yeah, yeah. I, it's... Uh, I, it's always difficult for Canadians to, to be uh, complimented. Uh, we, we don't like it. We'd rather be insulted, actually. So if you could, All right, I'll work on that. Okay. <laughs> In any case, so uh, look, I, uh, short, long story short, uh, I, I, I took a, an engineering undergrad degree in physics. Uh, so I was an engineering physicist. Uh, and actually, that, that ended up being really helpful because uh, of the space we entered into a very a tech uh, heavy space software. Um, but eventually ended up starting a company and this company was called voice genius out of Toronto. And, uh, it was based on this new, uh, architecture for building voice applications. And we were doing some really cool work for bell labs at the time. So I thought like this thing is going to change the way voice services are delivered. And so we got a license to that technology from bell labs and, raised uh, some venture capital and initially uh, an angel round, biggest angel round in Canadian history at the time, $10 million. Wow, awesome. Built that company for five years. And then, uh, uh, you know, Genesis, who I work with today, uh, acquired us. Uh, and uh, what was really interesting uh, at that point is they said, look, um, would you like to live in Europe? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> of course I would. Where? And they said, well, where would you like to live? And I said, Munich, of course, because that's right next to the ski hills. Yeah. Back to the theme. And uh, my wife, who's also an engineer, had to sort of quit her job to go on this adventure uh, with me. And she said, I'd rather move to Paris. So we moved to Paris and no regrets. I speak French, Canadian, uh, and it was, uh, but I ran the strategic solutions team there and we did some really cool work, uh, mainly about connecting experiences. uh, across channels in a customer service context, because Genesis is in the customer service business, call center business. Tell me a little bit about that later on. Um, but then uh, we were we went private. We were part of Alcatel Lucent, uh, and uh, and Premier came and said, "Look, uh, we like the Genesis uh, uh, company within Alcatel, and we'd like to buy it out." And they, and they successfully did that. So that was in 2012, and I ended up moving to APAC. Uh, Singapore, and I was responsible for the APAC region for sales operations and sales. So really ge- general manager, managing director for APAC. That was five years and what a, an amazing experience that was. Uh, I got to ski in Japan, which nice. is idle, which is awesome. Great snow uh, and, and great people and awesome food. Uh, and in China, in Chiang Bai-shan, just on the border of North Korea. Uh, but, uh, you know, getting to learn, uh, Asia was really, really fascinating. Uh, we did some good work there, uh, India, China, 
Japan, and of course, Australia, New Zealand. So um, at that point, it's sort of time to come back home. And uh, my boss at the time, the president of Genesis said, look, um, I'd like you to move into marketing. I go like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure that's for me. <laughs> Seriously. And I said, yeah, I, I, we went back and forth quite a bit on it, actually. And uh, ultimately, I sort of uh, not given a big choice. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, look, I'll try, I'll try for a year. And, and you know what the problem was? There was this uh, relationship problem between sales and marketing. We just, we weren't seeing eye to eye on a, on a lot. I've never heard that before, ever, Bruce. First time ever. That's weird. That's going on there. Yeah, yeah, really. Hey, first time. So I was sort of uh, sent in to uh, help build the bridge, right? Uh, uh, with uh, Mariah, who, who, who was a CMO at the time. And I look, uh, it didn't, it took a little while, but, but I absolutely fell in love with uh, marketing. And I think the timing was right in the end of the day because the technology that's available to marketing makes this, you know, brings me back to my physics route, a very analytical, quantitative, scientific, you know, discipline um, that you could apply some rigor to. And I really wanted our results to be relevant to sales and really help drive the business. And, and so since I, I started in that role, that's, that's four years ago now. Uh, you, you know, that's been my mantra is, is how it, and I, I think this is really important. How to be a partner with sales, not a, and I'll, I'll say this, not a servant of sales, a, a partner of sales. Cause I feel we're equal partners in helping to drive the business. Well said. And I, and I appreciate you sharing the backstory because I think as we all look at our career paths, there is a more and more common these days that, that marketing leadership and people who are successful in marketing, whether they're leaders or not, have a sales or customer experience background and really understand the voice of the customer, the customer persona. And as you said, so, so some takeaways from that is Bruce is connected to impact, right? He wanted to work in a, in a field, in a role where there was a direct impact measurable to the work, like there is in sales, and question whether he could achieve that in marketing. And he, and he certainly has. We're going to dive into ABM uh, in, in just a quick minute. But in case you don't know who Genesis is, they are one of the largest privately held software companies in the world. They're a global leader in contact center technology. And Bruce's official role, if you didn't see it there in the show notes, is he's the senior vice president of revenue marketing. So the revenue word is attached to marketing there and runs a, a pretty good size uh, team. And when I met his team for the very first time, we were all out at the Serious Decisions conference. Uh, was it Serious or Serious Tech? It was one of those. No, it's Serious Decisions. It was Serious Decisions. Yeah. We had a great steak dinner. We drank a bunch of good wine and we ate steak and we kind of sized up each other and met the teams. And And what I can tell you about Bruce, I don't know if this is the right way to paint really who he is because a lot of people have different visions of who Steve Jobs is. But I, I said, he's kind of like a nice, nice version of Steve Jobs. And what I, what I mean specifically by that is Steve was really known to be an inspiring leader, but he also surrounded himself with really smart and talented people. And you, you know, you have a great team and they are equally passionate about these things. This is not where you're forcing initiatives on them. And they're like, oh my God, the crazy boss wants us to do something else. We're all busy enough. I mean, you have a busy team, but they're, they're all in on these initiatives. And the story that you're going to hear, which I wanted you guys to take away is what did it take for Bruce to build uh, such a successful ABM program and, and an ABM team at the same time. And I'm going to cut to 
two punchlines. One is, if you want to see the journey in slide format, uh, Bruce is nice enough to share a deck with me that I've put down there in the show notes so you can go download it. And the reason I encourage you to download it is two reasons. One is so you can see the success that they've had with their initiative. But number two, it's one of the best PowerPoint decks that I've seen in terms of how marketing should present results to other members of the organization. It's only 10 slides and it's very impactful. So let me tell you how the story ends. You ready to hear where they are today? Their marketing results from this ABM initiative, 29% increase in marketing source pipeline. Let's just round that to 30. So about a third of an increase in marketing source pipeline. That's a big number. A 45% increase in marketing source bookings. So if you can increase marketing's bookings by 45%, that sounds like a worthwhile initiative if you've done it well. And pipeline conversion rate is 2x and deal velocity, the speed in which deals move up 25%. So that's on slide 10. That's how the story ends. Mm -hmm. But now we got to go back. It's like a movie. And now we're going to go back two years ago uh, or so when it, when it started. So when we were at the Serious Decisions Conference together, your team was actually winning an award for their account-based marketing. And which is really kind of funny in a way, because you, you now look at where you are now and you kind of said to me, almost like imposter syndrome, like, yeah, I can't believe we won an award back then. We were doing, but the bar has been relatively low because not a lot of people have had great success or don't know how to communicate or measure their success uh, for ABM. So let's talk about what you did in V1 of ABM, uh, if you can, and, and then where you are today, which is where we were, we were more engaged uh, together because you, know, you, you decided and the team decided, we're not going to just do lead gen anymore. We're going to pivot and we're going to move in this direction. And you even obsessed on whether to call it ABM and you ultimately landed that you did not. You, you, you have it every once in a while so people understand what the heck you're talking about, but it's more account-based is the term you guys use. Than we call it account-based everything. Everything, yeah. Because it's more than just marketing. It's marketing and sales uh, and services, right? So it, it, how do we do account-based about everything we do? You know, yeah. like customer-facing. Yeah. So tell, tell, tell the folks the story. I want to go back a little bit just to, uh, you, you know, surround yourself with smart people. And, and uh, I was thinking about that. And, you know, being new to marketing, right? Uh, uh, SEOs, CRM, CRO, those are relatively new terms uh, for me. Uh, and, and so, like, I, I absolutely depended on the team. And I really, I, I hope what I do is uh, be inquisitive. Uh, really try and understand. I they, they hate it, but I was called. I want to double click. I don't understand. You know, ask why. Like irritatingly number of times. Really try and get to the bottom. And and look, I I had some help to to make some changes in the team. Uh, I, I had a great head of uh, digital demand that I that I hired who was fantastic. He he helped build. You know the the. the the, the foundation, but yes, blessed with um, sort of super smart uh, people that also have this real excitement and, uh, um, you know, an ability to take risks and, and try new things. And, and not just in my department, you know, which is revenue marketing, but beyond. So our, uh, our marketing operations team and, uh, and our product marketing team and brand. So I think that's really, one of the key reasons that we were successful, and look, we we uh, we definitely made mistakes, hundred percent. But 
every time we learned uh, from those mistakes, we just got better. And we didn't sit on the mistake for too long. Uh, you know, Brian, the CMO, was a good leader that way. He said, like, look, okay, uh, it's not working out. You know, move on. Let's do something else. So that that was that uh, environment was really helpful. And I just on revenue marketing too. Like the, my team was used to be called the global field marketing lead gen and demand gen team. Really catchy, along with channel marketing and customer marketing. Yeah. And um, what, what we changed it to revenue marketing because one, I really like that uh, perspective that will driving true revenue, and two. We're sort of a last phase because I have the lead gen or SDR, a sales development team that interfaces with sales directly. And we bring it all the way back to brand. So we really do fill that revenue uh, area. And I, I want to be, again, this goal to be relevant to sales. So uh, alignment with sales. So um, it's a rebrand, by the way, it's, it, if you want to attach yourself to revenue, why not put it as the department's name? I like it. Smart. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so uh, we, we, we pretty quickly got onto account-based marketing. Serious Decisions was doing work there. Topo was doing work there. Um, you know, you, you and David were doing a lot of work there as well. And we had that great conversation uh, earlier on, like with, with uh, Mintigo. And, and like I said, like, that's where we got to go. I, I totally see that. If we can really stop treating single buyer, especially in our B2B world where our accounts are reasonably, reasonably sized. It's, it's a buying unit. It isn't a buyer. Uh, it's a qualified account. Is it a qualified lead? And you progress accounts. You don't progress a lead within an account. Yeah. And a lot of the work is to increase the buyer unit around, you know, the, the few contacts you have. And if you look, I saw this a lot in sales. The weakness a lot of time was that sales has very limited connection points with the customer. And, right. you know, we could really help broaden out those contacts. So, um, we, we put the program together. We, we depended on a lot of great tech. You, you mentioned, you know, our, our market automation platform, but big change there. We, you know, we, we, you helped us a lot there. That was really a fantastic implementation. We got Engageo in, and there's uh, we have 26, P, uh, 26 vendors in our stack. So it's it's and we make changes by the way. We don't sit statically on that stack, but that stack is really important to execute. It's very hard uh, to scale up without that because that's the one bad thing about ABM is it it consumes a lot of content because if you're personalizing that content, then that means a lot of content that's used you know for one or two or maybe ten at ten accounts. Or, you know, small group. So it, it, it's a, it's a content pay. Uh, it, it, and, you ha- and there are good ways, you know, to, to leverage content, but personalization is very important. So tech stack, really very helpful. So we put this plan together. Um, we were pretty proud of it and we submitted to serious decisions and they, they loved it too. We won this award. And I look at today. So sort of coming back to your point, um, where we are today and where we were then, we, it is a little feels a little imposterish to to do one that I, I'm super glad we did it. I thought at the time what we'd done was amazing, uh, but we've come a long way. And I think the big changes we've made. So you know, early days we triaged uh, our ABM into three levels: uh, strategic, uh, we call it uh, light, so and then finally programmatic, and. 
programmatic is really air cover. Uh, you do it for lots of accounts. You do a little personal light personalization. We, we call that air cover for sales. And I wouldn't take much credit for for that. Like if an account wins or loses, I'm not going to take a lot of credit because we had programmatic support. And just while you're going through this, for those of you who uh, were not tempted in my first mention, go in the show notes and click and grab the materials that we put up for Bruce because he's talking about slide six and it looks like a little pyramid for those of you that are going to follow this along uh, as he describes. And the bottom of the pyramid is really wide and that's where there's like a lower amount of investment and, and ROI per account. So that programmatic APM is at the foundation of that. And that's where you're doing, you know, one to many, many accounts, whereas he moves up to what it would be called ABM Lite. That's where you're doing, you know, one to fewer accounts and then the strategic, which he'll talk about. So again, go grab the material so you can follow along or look at this later on. But that, that building block approach enabled you guys to scale up your investment. And one of the things about maybe winning that first award, it was well-deserved, but, you know, to where you are now, it's very different. Is it's almost like maybe when you're growing up and you, you play a competitive sport, like I race. So I, I did um, NASCAR, not NASCAR, but I did NASCAR racing uh, for skiing a lot. And I would win these silver and gold medals. And that was the boost that wanted me to go compete competitively and, and ski for the U.S. ski team. And I think if I hadn't you know, been winning medals, I, I probably wouldn't have had the confidence that I yeah. could probably be good at this. So maybe that was that you know, your leadership was like, hey, team, we're going to go do account-based everything. You guys did it, took on the initiative, had success with it, got public recognition success for the case study, and then said, you know what, we're, let's stick with it and let's, let's go further. So I probably played around the foundation. Anyway, let's let you continue with that scaling up approach of the programmatic and, and up, unless you want to comment on that. But I, I, no, that's, I, it's true that confidence really helped a lot, I have to say, um, you know, you know to, to continue forging ahead. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so we have that triangle of, of, of how we uh, uh, pursue accounts uh, for ABM strategies. And, and, we started with strategic and I do think every, that's the place to start and strategic is one to one. And we still do a, a lot of that. And, and, um, why I would pick that one first is because you can really focus your efforts behind it and, um, you know, pick accounts that, you know, have a, a close cycle that you, you don't have to wait too long to see whether you get a win or a loss. Right. But, um, you know, that's where you're going to build your bridge with sales. That's where you're going to learn, you know, errors that you might make in strategy. Um, and, and, and that's where you can really A-B test some of your messaging. So that's where we started. And, and we, we had uh, some really good uh, wins there. Um, and uh, I, I want to tell you about one story. It's in the, it's in the slides too. Uh, but it really... I tell you, for me as uh, an ex-salesperson, was the story that went like, "Okay, wow, I'm I'm aside from the award, I'm all in because of this." And every time I presented it to sales execs, they're the same thing. It's like, "I want this." And what it, what we did was, it was, it was a pretty simple campaign, personalized um, ads uh, against the target account. Uh, we used display ads against the audience. And um, it, it wasn't that expensive, you know. Maybe cost us ten grand in in ad cost, but plus uh, some of the copy and content that we had to create in the uh, creative. Um, but but it it really was engaging because the sales team had really helped us understand what the problem was that needed to be solved, and and we spoke exactly that problem. And through our tools and our stack, we were able to find the audience that 
where we had to drop those impressions in. I have to say LinkedIn has been really invaluable for a good part of the world. With that, we, you know, we used Terminus and we used um, uh, Rollworks to sort of drive display ads. Um, but, but long story short, you know, we sort of uh, generated 31 new contacts in one account uh, that, that we were pursuing this uh, strategic one-to-one ABM program against. And I thought, that sounds interesting. And you can see all the impressions that we delivered and all that kind of good stuff. But what really killed it was we showed the org chart of what we knew of the account, because this was actually an installed base account. Uh, and then what we had afterwards. And when you see the org chart and the favorable disposition of the people in that org chart and the amount of engagement that we had with them, that's the one that just said, wow, that's incredible. So. You know, the, the real uh, icing on the cake was uh, this is a pretty big deal. It was a Latin American deal. Uh, it was supposed to close actually in Q1 of this year. Uh, and we not only, you know, closed it, but we pulled it forward like by six months. So, you know, uh, if you're in sales, this, that brought it into the former year, you know, where we, you know, we're always scrambling for the last few deals of the year. So, uh, if I'm looking at strategic and the way I want to demonstrate results, I would use the org charts and the amount of engagement you have and show the differentiation before and after. That will be probably what we get, get you running. Definitely a compelling, compelling story. What there's, you know, it's presented in a way that, that gives you an insight, which is so picture for everybody listening that you got these picture and org chart. One of them doesn't have a lot of people on it. CEO, CIO, COO, and two other people underneath the COO. The leadership team, the C-level people, they're not engaged with the campaign. And those may be the people that you, that you target. And then you look at the, the power of account-based and everything afterwards, and that org chart probably has like 30-some-odd people on there. And there's a lot of people in the organization showing and having engagement. That's the point Bruce is making. But guess what? Those C-level executives, they're still not that engaged. I mean, there's a little bit of engagement, but there's not like the buying committee and the, and the influencers and that type of stuff. And certainly Bruce knows from being in sales that sometimes the actual decision maker is not really the decision maker. It's the person who is the aggregation of everybody's influence and input for them to say, yes, we're going uh, to do this. And, and as account-based, uh, you, you create that, that swell, that surge within an account of influence and, and engagement from it. Uh, Bruce mentioned a couple of things and I'll just, I'll come back to them later. You, you mentioned this tech stack. So these guys are not shy. They've got a lot of different tools. And one of the things that they wanted to do, which is why they initially hired our team, is to do a full-scale marketing automation migration, which was needed. And I would say, you know, was it needed to achieve their account-based marketing strategy? I can tell you because we have clients on all different sides. No, but it was right for their business to do. What was needed was some of the other tools that mentioned because of the scale that they're doing. If you're doing account-based advertising at scale, then you're going to look at other tool sets like some of the ones Bruce mentioned. But the other tool that he mentioned casually was Engageo, which has played a big role in this. And the way for you to see all of that engagement across your buying committee and at, a, at an individual level and an account level is with a tool like that. Do you have to start there? No, Bruce didn't. Their team has success. Yeah. You need to invest in more tools and technologies resources as you scale this up and go and go down the pyramid instead of up the pyramid, down the pyramid, go wider. Um, certainly. What did it take, Bruce? I want to ask you a couple of questions about the people in tech. Uh, what did it take, do you think, with you as a leader to get the team 
so invested from a time and emotionally because they're they're charged up. Was there anything advice that you would give to someone else that maybe wants to go down the journey? That's like, oh my God, we're taking on another marketing initiative. We're so busy right now. We've just been doing it. Like, how are we going to fit this in and and do this? So any any lessons or thoughts, advice you'd give on how to rally the troops to make such a big, I don't know if it's the right word, but it certainly was a, a major new initiative that had to fit in. By the way, at the same time, you're doing a major marketing automation migration and really unexpectedly, while the world's having a major pandemic. Uh, that, and a lot of the, the heavy lifting was before, but uh, there's a couple real important things. Number one, I, I think, I think marketing teams in general, and and in our case, a lot of the the, the global field marketing or sort of the doers of ABM, the everyday doers of ABM, they really, you know, look, they want to graduate beyond uh, events, and 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 they want to move into digital, and this was a really good way to do it. And also, they really wanted to have like that strong relationship with sales. So I think they were happy to, you know, they saw the the vision too. So like, this is really good. And the other thing that I think is really important is um, I I honestly never feel like I've got the best idea. Like I like to listen. And that org chart, for example, which was the killer, that wasn't my idea. That was a team member's idea. Like. Um, in fact, two down, you know, who presented it. And I went like, oh my God, that's incredible. And if you want to get people excited, you know, endorse some of their ideas. That There's nothing better. I'm, and I would never do it like my team would know. I'd never do it unless I truly believed it was really incredible. Because if it isn't incredible, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at sharing that as well. It's so, a nice leadership lesson there is that you know, you're saying, look, Dave, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room when it comes to this. And, and none of us are smarter than all of us, as I like to say. So by you building a team and empowering the team to get involved and then profile their work and give them the credit for what they're doing and really be a, a bit of the, the leader, you know, the, the, the ring leader of the team uh, and pulling it together, establishing what success looks like. I remember the very first, uh, maybe we'll get to this some more, but one of the things that Bruce did is, he formed a collective of yeah, folks. Right. And so he had his internal organization, of course, on it. But he also invited me and John Miller. John Miller is the co-founder of Marketo and founder of Engageo to be in as part of this collective as well as some other um, folks and say, look, let's all get together and figure this out. And it was a, it was a brilliant... I, first time I'd ever been asked to do something like that uh, with an account. And it was, uh, it was nice to, as you experienced, just learn from others in that kind of a very deep environment. One of the first things that we talked about on the agenda is what does success look like? Let's start with the end in mind. What will Bruce and the team report on? How will we know if this is working? What will that look like? And then we kind of reverse engineered what was needed to get done to show some of those results. I remember that meeting uh, fondly and it was um, it was great to see them. That One of the other things I saw in that meeting was, right, they were creating the dashboards. They were creating, they, they, they did some homegrown Google reports and to kind of mock up stuff and say, this is what we want our ABM dashboards to look like. And John would say, cool, because you can do that and engage you. You can literally do that, not have to recreate it in different reports. So it was nice to kind of just have that, that open white space for the team to figure this out as a collective and, and do it. What else um, in terms of, I mean, you were successful in getting investment. So for those folks that are 
you know, a lot of people have MarTech fatigue. They don't want to go buy anything else or spend more money. They're a little burnt because maybe they bought stuff. Um, or, yeah, or, just, or what have you, but you, you got funds and investment to, to scale things up. Well, to, to be honest, I didn't get that much more money. We, we redeployed money. One of the benefits uh, I had is that we, we probably weren't most efficient, best practice at that point. And, and one of the beautiful things about ABM is that, you, you know, your ad spend and your investment is much more targeted. So we saw a really nice climb in conversion rate. We saw a nice drop in our CPLs. That actually freed up. Look, I'm not saying we didn't get more money, but it, 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 it was certainly way below, like it's single digit increases. It was really redeployment and focus. Uh, so I don't, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that as a, a reason not to do it as, is because the big financial request you have to make. Uh, I'd say, uh, you know, the steer co that, that you're referring to uh, was really helpful, uh, to us. And, and we're going to continue doing it because we, we don't, we still feel there's lots to learn. Uh, but yeah, how do you report on it? Because that's really important to understand what's working and what's not working. So we built up these uh, demand unit waterfall progression dashboards. So they really tell you whether your program is functioning properly or not. So are you moving accounts through the demand unit waterfall? That's really important. Uh, the other thing that I've been really focused on, and this is where you know light comes in. So the, the second tier, and this is where I think there's lots of opportunity to, to go further on. And light is you know is where we go after uh, a vertical a geo some grouping of a set of accounts uh you can still personalize the message to that account but they they share pain points uh so credit unions for example and it might be a dozen might be 50 accounts and this is where we're going next because it's about actionability so with engage own uh you know we use bombora and we've got uh, review sites like g2 we're getting all kinds of engagement signals, and I love the idea of engagement minutes. And all that comes in uh, to the dashboard, but what, what do you do with it, right? What's the next action you take? And this is where it's pretty cool what we're doing is now when we see, we start running a light campaign for a GL, we'll oversupply. So we'll say there's, we want to get, we want to light up 10 or 20 accounts. We'll go after 50 or 100. And then we put a filter on it of intent score. So once they hit that engagement score, you know, then they go to the next part of the campaign. And once they hit the next level of score, what we have, we have a, a series of accounts. We have a dashboard with a number of opportunities in them. Uh, and, and we have, uh, you know, the SDR and the A teams. And when they hit that level, we go and look and says, well, they've hit the level. There's no op. Action goes out to the SDR get engaged because they're lighting up and there's no op. And we're doing that automatically. That's very It's It's powerful. And uh, you guys took the concepts of lead management where, you know, people know you have an inquiry and an MQL and sales accepted. And you, you brought that to an account level, right? Where you have these, these different segments, like you said, there's the target demand. This is the universe of, of accounts that we want to go after. And then this is active demand. This is, this is people who are showing, um, you know, uh, signs of life, uh, signs of engagement and then engaged demand, prioritized demand, qualified demand and pipeline and bookings. That, that staircase 
um, which, you know, gets smaller buckets as you move down, but that's, that's what, that's, that's what happens. But like you said, it's really efficient. We're doing some LinkedIn campaigns ourselves right now at Demand Gen. And so for, if any of you are on LinkedIn and, and you're seeing our ads, it's because we want you to be a, a client or maybe you are just by the way. Um, and, and it's not that hard to do it and it's not that expensive, uh, to do it. As, as Bruce said, you, you know, to, to do, we used to call it like wide net fishing where you got to throw a lot of chum in the water. That's really inefficient and super expensive to throw chum all over a lake to try to catch a fish. And what this is, is it's a fish finder. You know, like you're saying, I, I want to go after these specific accounts. And if you're, if you're not like Genesis, one of the largest privately held companies in the world, you're thinking like, ah, oh, this sounds really powerful and it's great, but it's not for me because, you know, I'm a smaller, medium sized business. It's absolutely for you. This is not, there's no discrimination in terms of company size for this type of thing. Um, it's how you want to go to market. And by the way, Bruce, right? It's not binary. It's not now that you've got account based everything, you've turned off your lead gen programs and don't do the other stuff. A lot of people sometimes think that it's, it's A or B and it's not. I mean, it's, yeah, on that point, definitely gone back. Like we're, we were, I, I think it's sort of industry jargon now, but double funnel. We, we, because we feel in certain segments of our market, our TAM is not perfectly well described. So we do traditional, uh, demand gen, lead gen, uh, at the top of the funnel to bring new accounts into the TAM. And then when we, 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 put them through our light ABM programs that filters out then the ones that we really want to invest in. And again, that's why we're able to be so efficient with our investment. So, but I would, I would definitely use both. Uh, I wouldn't dump your, your traditional demand gen, uh, uh, you know, machinery uh, and, and, and focus exclusively on AB. I think, I think they work really well. Yeah. For me, that some of the next chapter too is, Re-engagement. So, um, as they move to sales, uh, you know, getting them through the early, uh, sales stages is, is actually challenging because salespeople tend to focus on the quarter close. What are the deals I got to get closed? And I get it, you know? <laughs> uh, so where, where we're working now is how do we, when we've handed them over to sales, how do we make sure we continue to provide nurture to them and support to them? Or let them regress too. So they're, you know, they just, I always use the analogy of, of uh, buying a car. You go to the store the first time, you're not buying. It's maybe the second or third time. So how are you recognizing the second or third time through and really being personalized and score, giving that some really good score? So I want to flag that account as a hot lead because uh, if they're coming back again, likelihood that they're ready to purchase this time around is much higher. So that's some of the work we're, we're getting involved in now. And you guys had to do a lot of data work and a lot of preparation of analytics work. I mean, this stuff doesn't come with cleaning up. You've got to clean up your database and and identify the, the target account list and, and manage them very well and build out that segmentation in your marketing automation and CRM system. And if you are connecting display advertising systems, you know, those, those have to know which accounts to go after. And you're either uploading those lists manually or, or selecting them or doing some of it automatically. So Bruce still has, you know, the journey's not over. You're going to, you're going to keep going through it. Um, it's hard on a podcast for us to really paint a uh, picture of, of some of these impact points and what he did. So please go grab the show notes and get inspired. If you want to reach out, yeah, to Bruce, sure. no problem. Um, 
he's a very accessible person except for the spelling of his last name. So I'll do that for you. Bruce Eidsvik, E-I-D-S-V-I-K. And uh, reach out to Bruce on LinkedIn. If have, have him connected in your network. And, you know, none of us, like we said, are smarter than all of us. And so if you're going to go on your ABM journey, uh, Bruce is a good guy uh, to talk with. Also, well, uh, before we wrap up. Yeah, I want um, one thing too to mention because I think it's important. Do it. The main thing yeah. to it um, was, was the, uh, the data part. And, and uh, I, I think I mentioned, but, but you absolutely need some smart uh, marketing operations people to help you because you, you're right. That's probably where some of the, the trickier bits of execution sit is, is uh, getting that data flow to be uh, clean and dependable. Um, and, and, and it's worth the effort because if you don't have clean data sets, really, this, this does not work. I wrote an article two years ago. I think it's hanging off my LinkedIn profile, certainly on our, our blog somewhere, right? The rise of the data operations role and how critical that would be in marketing to have someone who, in a large enough marketing department, someone who cares solely on, on data for the, for the benefit of targeted, you know, better marketing as well as, as analytics. And you guys definitely have that, that DNA to care a lot about data. It's, I, I say that because it's shocking to me how data hygiene is not considered essential in so many marketing departments. I would say most marketing departments. And it baffles me, Bruce, because I don't get how you can do good marketing without good data. You're just, you know, you're, you're fatiguing the shit out of your database. You're sending emails to people who are dead and gone, not literally dead, but you know, they're, they're, they're in your database, but they're not out there in the world. They've changed roles and that type of stuff and, and accounts that you should. And it's super expensive let alone inefficient with your system and sales. You know this from being from sales. If sales has duplicate lead or contact records in the database, they look at poorly on marketing and your marketing automation system for creating all that extra junk that is just cuts into their time and, and efficiency. So net Bruce, as you know, it's not for the faint of heart to move down the ABM path. Um, last question I have for you is, is it for everyone? So given what you know now, uh, or maybe the opposite question is, who shouldn't undertake ABM or ABM right now? Any, any thoughts you have? Because you guys have made a big investment, but you have big results from it. So if somebody's listening and going, sounds impressive. It sounds like it had a great impact. I mean, holy crap, you know, a 29% increase in marketing source pipeline and, and some of the other numbers I shared. Why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, look, uh, I... I mean, I'd say it's a, obviously a B2B tactic for sure. So if you're in the B2C space, I don't know if it's for you. Uh, but, but beyond that, you're, you know, there's so, there's so many levels at which you can do it. So you really have to define, uh, you know, what's appropriate for you. And as I was saying, like, I think there's no way that shouldn't be doing strategic. I think you need to be a little bit more advanced to do light effectively. Um, but but you can also adopt the programmatic, you, you know, pr- pretty easily as well. And all that is about really going after those accounts that are showing, uh, you know, signs of engagement and, and, and intent. So, no, I, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't do it. And, you know, from a, a cost efficiency, a conversion rate, um, a win rate perspective, you didn't mention deal size, but you usually get a lift on deal size as well. You get a reduction in... Um, in uh in close time uh, you know, that was it um, go ahead yeah every average day's sales outstanding or whatever you want to call that measurement yeah yeah How long does it take to get from the top of the pipe 
to the bottom and be closed one. Exactly. So you get that benefit there. So, no, I, I don't know why you wouldn't. All right. Here it is from Bruce and David. Uh, great story. Great ABM journey. Already an award winner over a year ago. Now really feels that they deserve the award. Shout out to your team. Um, yes. Yeah. Bruce is baby leader. He's, he's got a great team, super smart people. I won't mention any names because you'll try to recruit them and he wouldn't be happy. <laughs> <laughs> recruit his team. Uh, but that's what we do for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Uh, if you guys have been catching, uh, Demand Gen TV is up unofficially on YouTube and just put up a bunch of videos, actually some walkthroughs on Engageo, Bruce. So I had uh, Jordan Mifflin over on the Engageo team do a few demos that we recorded and put up there. So if you guys have never seen Engageo and you just want to, you know, yeah, they're short videos. So if you want to see a little show and tell of how Engageo works from account-based perspective and hear what we're talking about, go hit that. There's a lot of other videos on lead scoring and, and the demand funnel and all kinds of good stuff I'm cranking out for you guys because I absolutely have a commitment to educating uh, you and helping you. And hey, if anybody needs help from Demand Gen and my team, you guys know where to find us and appreciate that. Appreciate all the work that you guys do. For us, by the way, I have to say a shout out to you, David, and the team. George uh, and others, they did fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, you guys, we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.